You're listening to the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Understanding the feminine cross-dressing experience. I'm Savannah Hawk, dual gender male to female crossdresser, LGBTQ plus advocate, TEDx speaker, and author of the Living with Crossdressing book series. And I'm Julie Rubenstein, proud ally and co-founder of FoxandHanger.com, a feminine styling and life coaching service for cross-dressers and transgender women. Hi, Savannah. Hi, Julie. How are you? Oh, my God. I am so good. I am continuing my best efforts to reread my book and going, wow, I'm terrible at writing and rewriting everything in this section of the book. I probably got like 10 pages reread and rewritten because it's, it's, it's deep. It's meteor. It's a meteor topic. And I think I got a little too, I don't know, loose with the flowery words. And I'm like, man, I really need to condense this down. So for me, today has been all about that. So I'm not getting hundreds of pages right in a clip, but I'm boiling it down as best I can. How about you? what you do this weekend? I have one thing to say about that is gotta love the writing process. And the second thing, actually two things is writing is editing. I remember when someone told me that and I was like, whatever, writing is free and flowing. And yeah, that's called the shitty rough draft. And then when you go to the, to what is it considered the first draft or the second draft, the second draft, let's call it. It's just to see of what the fuck was I thinking and what are my core (laughs) concepts and all that jazz. So I fully appreciate the efforts that you are putting in this creating order from chaos. This is no small feat. I appreciate the stress that goes into it very much. I have had a pretty good weekend. I went to Napa with my family. We got up really early and we went to this beautiful wish I knew the name of it, but it was a vineyard, definitely a vineyard, but they had this delicious, they had a wine tasting area, but they also had this magnificent deli that just had every delicious item, everything canned and garlicky and olivey and cheese and so delicious. And I did maybe look for something that I could potentially bring to you to your house, but spoiler alert, I didn't find anything (laughs) You all you need to do is bring yourself and it'll be fine. Thank you. You're welcome. So that sounds actually pretty but cool. Yeah. I think my sister, I want to say my sister and her husband took me to Napa when I was out there. But now I'm thinking that doesn't sound right. But it's possible. I think we went out to Napa country, but I don't think we like stayed too long anywhere. I don't think we had an experience out there at any one thing. But I do remember going out and driving through. We might have stopped somewhere as well. But yeah, it's a beautiful country out there. Yeah. The way down, we took a scenic route, quote, which was very windy, very gorgeous, but it definitely didn't agree with the member of the family that was sitting in the back seat. She ended up getting quite sick. So we agreed to take a different route on the way back and it made for much smoother driving and less, less sickness, no sickness on the way home. So that was a smart choice. But yeah, this weekend has been full of making those family memories, which because of my introvert nature, I tend to not do so many family adventures. 
So this one definitely is one for the books. Nice. And that book would have one page in it. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Stop it. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you really shouldn't let Remy drink prior to the trip. Yeah. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. Good. Okay. Just say. Just say. Well, it sounds like you had fun. It sounds like I was productive. So that I don't have any good segue other than to ask you, what is today's topic about? Well, today's topic is something that I have been avoiding for a while now. And that is with all the disgusting and intense and traumatic information that is our world right now with the bans and the rules and the laws. I told you last week, you and I tend to have this debriefing of the show and conversations for the future, if you will. And I said to you, all right, I feel like we need to go there. We need to unpack this. We need to look at it. We need to talk about all of our fears and how it relates to the climate that we're in. Being a transgender-centric show, being a part of humanity, we are in crisis. We're in crisis and it's scary and people in power are reacting to fear. And so often I think, how did we get here? And at the same time, I know exactly how we got here. So my hopes for this episode is to crack open some of the things that have been going on in this country and to figure out ways to honestly protect ourselves because compassion fatigue is real. And being scared to even leave our homes after we've made such collective progress is also real. You are my safe person. This is a safe space for many to listen to our beautiful podcast. And I love to just go there in a safe and loving way. Just crack it open. I'm all about that. Ironically, I was just ready to put my phone on silent as you're talking. I want to make sure I didn't disturb you. And what does come up on my Facebook, which was already open, is from Sparkle is Loved, one of our favorite fans and oh. people we love. And she shared a YouTube.com video. It says, Comedian wears a dress of protest Tennessee law, Steve Hofstetter. And it's got a picture. Is at the comedy catch? And it looks like Steve Hofstetter is wearing a dress not too dissimilar from mine. I just, uh, this open. Yeah. I just saw it. So I haven't listened to the YouTube yet. But it, <laughs> how ironic. It's as if my phone is listening to us, even though I'm on my headphones and it is not, that this is just another indicator of exactly the things you're talking about. And what is it, what does the landscape look like? What does our future look like? What are the possibilities? How did we get here? It seems like a much bigger show than it could be, but it is so really prevalent in the United States right now and around the world. Let's not kid ourselves. Everything that we're going to discuss today is not only centric to the United States at all, but it is seemingly, I don't know, it seems like we we in the United States should be a lot more enlightened in the 21st century than what we are. And it amazes me that for every step forward and, oh my God, we've made it, we've arrived, we got here just to know that Within the last six years, the amount of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ plus have just ramped up like 10, 20 fold from even six years ago. Yeah, I have done a little bit of research as well. I did not get deep into the minutia of every bill that's being advanced in individual legislative houses in each state. 
but it is wide sweeping and a little bit scary. So I'm totally with you on that. It is. And it's like, how do we approach this topic without being a part of this kind of oversaturation or over traumatization and have people respond in a way that is truly with fear, with fright, now wondering how can I make so much progress? How can we, like you said, make so much progress, but at the same time, not feel safe to, I know you and I were speaking about if you were to go to a Starbucks in one of these states where the laws are really happening. The idea of you being arrested for just sitting there, working on your book, going over note cards from for a soon-to-be talk, whatever it is, and the idea that you, Savannah, could be arrested in the same way that a criminal could be because you are considered a criminal in that space, in that moment. It's just, it's a lot. And I think that in preparation for this episode, another thing that I want to challenge listeners and I want to challenge us to figure out is how do we continue as individuals making the strides that we have made, continuing to push back against the law and say, this is who I am. This is who I need to be to be my authentic self in spite of this climate. You and me are both very much rule followers in the sense of we know what legal is, we know what illegal is and all this. We go on our merry way. But when the establishment just is wrong, it's wrong on such a fundamental level. How does that affect our self-concept? How does it affect our ability to show up as the rebels of the world or as the, the people that are push, pushing back? It's just, right now it's a phenomenon. It's just, it's, it's bigger than I can even express in words. Oh, absolutely. And in preparation of this, I went to the ACLU.org website. Actually, I didn't go there. I was just looking to see how many anti-trans or anti-queer bills were out there. And I was aghast at the fact, and again, you can go, I will put this in the show notes, but it says ACLU.org, and it is the legislative attacks on LGBTQ rights. And this is how many bills are in the US that are anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ. Of all the 50 states, plus Puerto Rico, there are only, it looks like one, two, three, four, five, six six states, including Puerto Rico, that do not have any bills that have been advanced to the floor for consideration. So that means that there are 45 states where there is something going on, whether it be for healthcare, for education, for sports, for public spaces, tranquil story hours, whatever it may be, There are things in almost every state of this country that are being advanced in their individual House and Congress legislative buildings in this country. And that is a Mm. scary, scary thought. And for why? One of the things that I thought about when we talked about this, and I did actually go deeper into it, I think there's over 300 active on the floor or in committee or in subcommittee that are being looked at. Of the 390 bills, I had to go looking for that, introduced in the last four years, only 39 have become law, which is crazy in and of itself. So despite the limited success of these bills, 
This is from a Washington Post article. They say that the ones enacted have had a far-reaching effect on the lives of trans people and has a broader debate over trans rights. The most consequential of this bill includes sports, education, ID restriction, as well as religious exemption laws and healthcare bans. So a lot of this stuff, while it's limited so far, the fact that in 2018, there were 19 bills introduced. In 2019, there was 25 bills. 2020, 60 bills. 2021, 131 bills. And in 2022, 155 bills. So it shows you that since 2018, when there was just a handful of bills being reviewed and put into committee, it has skyrocketed in the last two years. And then the question really remains, why? Is it the everyman and the every woman who's really talking about these things being a necessity? Or is it more the lobby groups and the conservative Christian funds who have a billion dollars to give it to them in order to do what? In order to not be Christian, not have Christian values and exclude people because they're different than you? versus being inclusive and loving and loving thy neighbor. I really don't understand it, but here we are in 2023 with God knows how many of these additional bills reaching the floor, reaching a vote, and being enacted in law before somebody can then take it to the Supreme Court or somebody is arrested and they can fight it and take it and see if it's overturned. It just seems like a waste of our time of the people we have put into office to get real things done. So a lot of them were based off of the bathroom bill in North Carolina several years ago. And that was the that one campfire that started burning down the forest. Like the notoriety and the visibility and the conversation around that fueled a lot of this going forward. And then after that, it was the trans kids and sports bills. And primarily, the majority of the ones that were passed were all around banning trans kids from participating in sports that was not part of their biology. There are so many layers to that at both the middle school, high school, college, collegiate, Olympic, professional levels. It just is mind-boggling about how you make those determinations. I'll be the first to say that even as a child, if I was a 10th grader, I probably would get my ass kicked. If I try to get on the women's <laughs> track and field team, guarantee you they were a lot more athletic than me, regardless of how much testosterone I had on my body. So, yeah, sometimes it really is not as big a deal as people make it out to be. And there's a lot of other rules around like testosterone levels and like, what about women, genetic women who have a very high T count? So, should they be banned from their own biological sport because? their body produces too much testosterone. It was like, all of a sudden you start getting to all this weird minutia of what really describes what this is trying to do. Now, it's trying to what? Protect the biological child to not be overshadowed by somebody who may possess more ability because of their biology. So I don't know where I sit on this, but it's just way too complicated to say, yes, they should be allowed or no, they shouldn't be allowed. And what level? Should they be allowed or not allowed? That one in and of itself, the fact that they have bans, I think is very short-sighted because they really didn't put forth any metric, really scientific metric to one, prove that every child who's operating in a sport beyond their biology is crushing it 
compared to the biological kids in that sport. Like there's really no precedent. They point out one thing and it's they make it a big deal. And if you remember Joey Rubenstein, I don't know if you do remember this, but when I was a kid, there were a couple stories out there about a girl who wanted to play in the boys' high school football team. And I think she ended up either being quarterback or kicker. And it was all this like underdog stories. Like, yes, I think she has every right to play with the boys if she's that good. And nobody ever right. talked about that being a bad thing. Nobody said, hey, she, I mean, I take that back. There were some dissenters about how that girl should not be on a boys football team, but it was an underdog story and people rallied behind that. So how is this in essence much different? It's different because of the person being targeted. Yeah. My friend, Joe, who's actually a journalist in New York, posted this meme that said, it's from at truth out. It said, it took less than a year for far-right transphobes to go from, we just want girls' sports to be fair, to, we want to protect minors, to, let's arrest doctors and force adults to detransition. And then at the bottom of a line, it says, experts warn gender-affirming care ban in Kentucky could have deathly consequences. So that kind of struck me this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And a lot of that is these rules out. I've heard it a few times that I don't know what state it is, but they're saying that any parent who, quote unquote, subjects their child to gender affirming care could be arrested as criminals for being a part of that care. The doctor could be arrested for offering that care. The government of that state saying, we're going to defund you and you'll not get any of the federal government stipends or whatever you get for healthcare as a result of this. It was like, if you are, how dare you offer this care? So it's this multi-pronged attack. It's like, wait, so a parent of a trans child could be criminalized. The doctor providing care could be criminalized for what? For something that's being done specifically on a one-on-one basis. So then where is that step from? Who is the person that should be making that decision? Because everybody's so concerned about this idea of mutilating our kids. Um, How often does that happen? Show me proof. Show me 100 documented cases in this United States that says, yeah, look what happened to this child. And then they'll bring in detransitioning and look what happens when you, you rushed it. As we talked about Chris Beck a couple of weeks ago, all these things are in play, but who's making that decision and why? What is the underlining pinnings of these yeah. bills? Who are we actually protecting? It sounds like we're not protecting anybody, but we're targeting somebody. And this is where my concern for all these bills yep. fall into place is I'm not protecting, I'm protecting my morals, my poor baby clutching pearls morals of what I feel is right because my religion says so. But just because your religion says this and because you have an issue with trans kids or the queer population, or as CPAC said, they need to eradicate transgenderism in this country, who are we protecting? It looks like you're targeting a very specific group. And because there was a little bit of success with some other bills, all of a sudden it was like, ooh, look, gain some ground that people didn't weren't as outraged as we thought. And we were able to pass these bans. And all of a sudden, well, that just gives us more opportunity to pass more bans. Let's just basically put all the trans kids and all the queer youth and all the queer adults in the gas chambers, a la 40 yeah. to 45. I'm sorry, are yeah. we not repeating ourselves? 
Yep. And this is the bill you speak of is the Kentucky bill. And that is the Kentucky House for passing Senate Bill 150, a sweeping anti-trans bill that will ban gender affirming care. It will force teachers to disclose confidential information they've had with students about their sexual orientation or gender identity to the students' parents. And even if that would put the students in danger at home. I mean, that is so ridiculous. Okay, so anywho, before I get too sidetracked, it also is a ban on transgender students from using the school restrooms and locker rooms to match their gender identity. And this is from the hrc.org. This is just, I have no words for what it is. It is just beyond the scope of my understanding, beyond the scope. And I really do understand when people of my generation say, I, I have chosen not to have a child because I wouldn't want them to grow up in a world like this. Mm. Wholeheartedly understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Even in my own, where I call home state these days, there are 18 bills in different stages in South Carolina that are their statuses are all advancing, meaning advancing and being referred to committee or subcommittee. Some were actually being re-referred to a committee or subcommittee. Some about free speech, some about accurate IDs, some about school and education, healthcare, civil rights, other anti-LGBTQ bills, because they just don't know where to slot them in terms of their description. That's 18 in my own state. Now, being a committee doesn't mean it's ever going to reach the floor to vote. But if you have a very strong conservative voting block that actually controls the House, the Senate, and the governorship, there's a very good chance that a lot of these bills could get to a vote and could be passed. Now, that being said, I've also heard about some of the bills that were enacted into law in Florida, where I think two of them were enacted, and maybe it's not Florida, but I know that two laws were like a don't say gay type of bill. And they actually are now on hold. They were passed, but they're now on hold in going to the Supreme Court because of the fact they have really determined that it could be unconstitutional. Thank God for our three branches of government that we can have checks and balances. But the fact that we need to have checks and balances in this case or in these cases, where it's like gung-ho got made into law. And then, the, then there's got to be a case brought before the Supreme Court saying, hey, whoa, 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 slow down. I think you're being unconstitutional. The fact that we have to have it go so quickly into that go around and into that turnstile. Of, yeah, I know you, you were all like 80 to 1 in favor of this ban, book banning, race theory, don't say gay, all the, these kind of clickbaity words. It's not necessarily clickbaity when they are banning books, when people are saying, hey, these 50 books, I don't think my child should see in a public or school library because of its content matter. And what does that say about us? It's like, why? Oh, what's the bannings? What are we banning? Oh, it looks like it's all where there's either a homosexual child as a protagonist or as a secondary character, or they're trying to show empathy for trans youth or something that's really inclusive, but yet somehow it's become the bane of people's existences. Yeah. And that bill in Florida that would 
ban girls from talking about their periods in school. Oh, yeah, that's the absurdity on that. And the or fact four, that- Four, sixth grade. Yeah. What did you learn about that That one where even the architect of that bill didn't think that would <laughs> that was one of the outcomes that could happen? Yeah, it was pretty much this man getting up in front of someone and a woman just calling them on the to task saying, this is, did you know that this, that girls get their periods prior to this point? And are you trying to say this and that? And yeah. I was just like, oh no, I didn't know. Yeah, I think like, it's just, it's just this power thing and this. Right. But yeah, if what I recall was they, the, I think the genesis or the core of this bill specifically was a child cannot speak to a teacher and vice versa about their bodies, about healthcare in any way until the age of, I don't know, let's call it 14, 15, 16, whatever that cutoff was, that nothing could ever be spoken between teacher and student until that age. And then I think that lady, that congresswoman says, you do know that girls can have their period like at age 10. So are you telling me that that child cannot go to a teacher and say, this just happened with my body? I need help. Yeah. I'm right. I am bleeding. I need help. And it could start as early as eight for some. It really because of all the hormones that are happening in food and in bodies. And it's happening a lot early, a lot earlier. And already having your period at school is already, when I say traumatic, it is, it is traumatic. So you want to be able to go up to your teacher and say, and seek help. Teachers are safe keepers. They are. And if it is a biological female that is your teacher, all the safer. Like already it's this private thing. You feel like you're alone. You're literally bleeding. You don't know what to do. And what? So then what what do we what do I tell my daughter if I was in a state like this? Do I say, all right, don't go to the teacher, but don't go to the nurse's office either, because they're like the health teachers too. So just just call me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so assuming like, be a law abiding yeah. citizen. Yeah. It's yeah. But it's yeah. also assuming that you've had that talk with your daughter at age of eight, to prepare her for this eventuality. That's assuming that. And to go a different tact, there's uh, this other thing about how this other bill would say, and again, I will show note the ACLU and the Washington Post articles. They have maps of every state and bills that are defined in every state. So you can actually read the actual content of each bill. But in this other bill I read, they were saying that parents must be a part of any conversation that has to do with gender, that if a child speaks to a teacher or a counselor or a nurse, a school nurse, and says, I feel I'm trans, or I feel this, or I feel different, I feel whatever clear way, that the parent must be alerted, even if that parent is anti-trans, is not supportive, is not going to take this well, and may do all sorts of unhealthy things for that child might make decisions that are not in the best interest of the child. We're under some weird Pollyanna impression that I understand parents should know, but sometimes that parent is so not about that, that telling that and sharing that is not going to be positive for the child. And they're looking for safety. They're looking for a safe harbor outside of the home because they know their home life itself is not a safe harbor. 
so in this way, I get that if like your child says something, I understand the want to say, wow, we really need to bring the parents in to understand this. But then what? Do you just send the child home with a note and says, give this to your mom and you put it to your front lapel like they used to do back when you were a kid? And the parent tears it off and says, by the way, your child just told me he was trans. Sign the nurse. And then what? Where do you go from there? And what's out there to really support that child in a positive way versus how dare you, what's beat it out of you, what's conversion you back to normal? There's this under this is weird understanding that we think that everything is going to turn out okay as long as we don't talk about it, as long as we don't teach about it, we don't educate about it, we make sure all the wrong people know about it. I don't know. It just seems like the more and more I see of all these bills is really, again, not being inclusive and supportive and let's try to make the best decisions is more like, ooh, I'm afraid of all these queer people. So let's make sure we do as much as we can to make them go away, either as young as possible or as quickly as possible. Yeah. It's it's a disgrace. That's that's all I can say. It's yeah. it's an utter disgrace. It's like they're the agenda is so clear. The agenda is to make this so it is not a thing, so that it's not happening. Well, being transgender has been happening since humanity has started. It is. And in some areas of the world, it is seen as royalty or up there with the gods, you know? And I just think that by cutting, by making it so that educators, parents, and healthcare providers could get their licenses taken away, could get their child taken away, could get their jobs taken away as a threat. It's just, it just reminds me of, I don't know, people are still going to be good people and they're still going to be doing what they're doing. And now it is going to be under the guise of higher stakes of losing their jobs, of losing their child, of being so scary. But you know what? People will continue being the good people that they are, whether they're going to say, I'm a good religious woman, so I will continue to care for the children in my classroom to maintain the confidences because it's the right thing to do. When I think back on history, and I look at this from a historical perspective, and I think about all those people, the non-Jewish people that help hide the Jewish family in their homes, the people that, this is two totally different extremes, but the right to put alcohol in one's body when it was illegal. There were the bathhouses where they would make them moonshine and they would continue to do so. The, the safe spaces for slaves, the continued effort to safeguard our community and our humanity will continue to happen. I just, it pains me to know that we have all these baby trans out there and families that are just starting to understand why this sort of care is a necessity and it's not long. And you have all these religious people who they are suddenly ousted from the churches because they choose their family, they choose their kid, and the church can't recognize that. And now it's law and now it's illegal to be the kind of parent you are, the loving parent these resources are illegal, these life-saving care, it's just, it's on me. Like when we get to the unsafe ways to help people and you ban it from the hospitals, when I think back when folks were 
filling their bodies with silicone injections so that they could appear more feminine. They were doing these illegal, unsafe abortions that were not safe, but they were doing it because the need was there. It's, I can't even put it into a complete sentence. It's scary. I don't want people to leave feeling more unsafe than before. I want to come up with a way to give people hope to know that this little podcast that is now 75,000 plus listens in the bank is one of those safe houses. We'll continue to talk about the things and we'll continue to sit with you and honor you and fight with you and hope that this isn't forever. Well, it better not be because I can't imagine living in a country where this is the direction. We have other states that are actually trying to put positive measures into place, like almost like a refugee situation where if you are fleeing someplace where you are being prosecuted or persecuted for whatever offense you were considered doing in one state, you actually could go to this other state as a safe haven where there are actually physical protections. And even Michigan just set up a more expansive LGBTQ plus protection. Anti-discrimination bill was just put in to law a few weeks ago that also is helping. So kudos to my home state of Michigan for doing the right things. So I love that. But it's crazy. As you're talking, Julie, I was like, you know what? Let me do something. Let me go into my home state now of South Carolina and look at one of these bills right now for your viewing pleasure. And this one is a live and in person. Live and in person. This is a, a South Carolina. It is called, it may be cited as a Defense of Children's Innocence Act. Sounds very popular and positive. It says, drag show, in quotes, means a performance in which a performer exhibits a gender identity that is different from the performer's gender assigned at birth using clothing, makeup, and other physical markers and sings, lip syncs, dances, or otherwise performs before an audience for entertainment and is intended to provide sexual stimulation or sexual gratification, which are distinguished or characterized by emphasis on matter depicting, describing, or relating to nudity or state of nudity, semi-nudity, or state of semi-nudity specific sexual acts or specific anatomical areas. And then they go into all sorts of other things about what that means, the genitals, the pubic region, the areolas. It just it goes on and on to state all these things. They're the areolas. What? Right, right in this area of my ola. But the bill was to amend <laughs> the South Carolina Code of Law by enacting the Defense of Children's Innocence Act by adding Section 61200 so as to provide that any business where drag shows are held is deemed to be a sexually oriented business for all local ordinances relating to a sexually oriented business by adding 6-1-210 as to prohibit a state agency political subdivision in any entity that is supported or whole or in part by public funds from using any public funds to host or provide a drag show and by amending section 16-15-385 related to disseminating harmful materials to minors as to include the offense of allowing a minor to view a drag show. This is some crazy ass bullshit. Ah, shit. 
Holy F. And then I just read two sections of the actual bill. I did not make this up. I did not paraphrase it. This is in actuality what it's saying the bill needs to be. Because as the sexualization and the loss of innocence of children is all derived from watching a, a drag brunch show or a drag queen story hour, I just, oh, my brain. You talk about you don't know what to say. I don't freaking know what to say. And I read part of this bill. So again, one of several hundred bills that are being advanced for some craziness. Now, what I didn't see here was they're talking about bod axes, partial showing, which I'm pretty sure that um, Hooters may have a problem. And maybe some of our professional sports cheerleading squads <laughs> may have a problem. I'm a little concerned. I just say it's just, it's funny to me because the drag I love the best is the raunchiest, <laughs> right? It's just the raunchiest, but it's meant for adults. Yes. Period. Yes. It's yes. meant for adult fun. And I don't know. It's just, and then you have a whole, you actually, it's not meant for adults. It's not meant to be fun. Drag is a galaxy of performance art, for example. So the other day I was at school this past week. And a gentleman who's a teacher at my school said, oh, my gosh, I listened to your podcast, the first episode. And I was wearing my ally T-shirt. And it was like the there was two other teachers there who I love very much. And they were like, OK, Julie, some questions. And I was like, this is great. Gather around. And my friend Ona said, all right, what's the difference between a crossdresser and a drag queen? And I'm thinking, oh, come here, you little sweetie. Take a name. But uh, my response was kind of the generic response I usually say, and that a drag queen is a performer. And then another part of me stopped in its track, and I was just like, and an activist and a warrior. Because right now, being a drag queen, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're just performing. It's now a political statement, it's now a rebellious act. And drag as an art form, there is so many different layers to it. When you think about the club scene, it is very raunchy. The drag that I have always been drawn to was that divine drag, that raunchy drag, the kind of San Francisco drag where you did see a little bit of facial hair. It varied from the drag you may see it. Ironically, I'm going to compare it to the drag you might have seen in Florida, where it's more pageanty. There's so many different layers. So right now, the fact that drag is under attack, it's just so despicable on so many levels. Despicable. The fact that all drag under an umbrella is seen as, let's just shut this shit down. Yeah. And like you said, you then have hooters where there's ass cheeks hanging out and titties showing. And if you're lucky enough to see an areola, well, you get a round of beers, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Now, I will say, in defense of what I had read, I read the most obvious things, and there's a whole subsection of, well, if the minor was there with a parent, and all these other things that like, make it okay. Like, oh, if I'm, if I'm at the state house and a drag queen is performing, then it's okay, because I was like hired to, to work there. But it's insane the fact that this bill needs to be here to be considered. And then, well, we didn't mean all the things, just the things we hate the most. So I was like, then why do you have a bill? Right. Like, and again, what is driving it? The sexualization of children? How many memes have we seen on Facebook and on Instagram, on TikTok, all the social media saying, oh, a baby beauty pageants are okay. 
Hooters girls are okay. Right. The Dallas Cowgirls are okay. Madonna in the 80s with her cone bras and barely any clothes from the waist down, that's okay. But yet somehow, right. drag itself in its own performance art seems to be the worst offender at sexualizing our children. And why? Hmm. Maybe because, as I said earlier in this bill, is that we're dressing up something different, as if dressing up in some flamboyant clothes that's not my biology is the nexus of the in the linchpin of what's going to drive the next generation into the ground and ruin this country. I tell you, yeah. <laughs> and I even it's reached, ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But I will tell you this before you move on. I just want to say that when I was doing a review on this and I was on the ACLU website, I reached out to one of the speakers who was at the TEDx Emory this year, who is with the Georgia ACLU as their chief lawyer on staff. And I basically just reached out and say, hey, I was doing this research and I just want to reach out to you and say, I'm scared. I'm scared of all the shit that's going on in the world. Yeah. Please save us. (laughs) I'm glad you're there to protect us. Basically, this episode has been a long time coming. We would not be a part of the movement if we did not discuss what the hell is going on. And yeah, I think that after for every heavy topic we have, there's always a, a an urge I have to discuss something fun and sexy like shoes next week. Keep our <laughs> audience balanced with all this intensity and all the trauma that we're feeling. But the truth of the matter is, now more than ever, I am so thankful when it comes to finding community and the importance of community and the importance of being out and proud and I am still so touched and so amazed by all of you dear listeners that are continuing in spite of all these laws that may be affecting your states and your sanity and your fear level, that you're continuing to post pictures of your adventures out at the club and stepping out as your NFEM self. You're continuously making milestones in terms of your own self-concept, in terms of your own ability for growth, moving out of your house, contacting us, letting us know how this podcast has affected you. Today, I got a message from a listener in Australia saying how they listen with their wife and they discuss different topics that we're discussing. So under a very thick layer of political and life-altering trauma, there is so much growth. For a diamond to appear, they have to be under the influence of tremendous pressure and tremendous fiery heat in order for them to appear as a sparkly diamond. So I just want to let you know, and I know I can speak on behalf of Savannah, that we see all of our listeners as beautiful diamonds, and we hope that you continue to sparkle and keep on shining because we see you, we notice you, we love you, and... We will be here as long as you need us. And I think that means we'll be needed for a long time because we need you. That's what I wanted to say. And thank you for listening to the end of this episode. Savannah, do you have any lovely words to say as we wrap things up? No, but I do actually just in looking at this one bill in my own state makes me want to be a little more mindful of maybe reaching out to those agencies that can help to negate this negative change, 
calling the governor, calling your representative, just trying to get a little more involved. Again, you don't necessarily have to do it by voice. You could do it by being there in support of others who have the agency and the power to do it. Could be a donation, could be anything. Like even when I was on the ACLU, they are looking for donations to help foster growth and the ability to do what they can do. So even that is every dollar counts, every call counts, every setting of your conviction to make positive change counts. And we just hope that everybody can do their part. But let's turn the tables on this craziness. And as overwhelming as it can be, and as I am all too aware of that freeze response when it comes to trauma and information coming at me in really large quantities of unjust and unfair shit. I just want to crawl under the covers and just pretend it doesn't exist for a couple moments. But I'd say that the best way to shift this is to get out there and vote and to just keep on just keeping us as a collective safe by just voting no on all these horrific things that they're trying to put into place. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. And like I said, please check out our show notes. We will have links to ACLU and some other places that you can look specifically in your state for what's out there being reviewed, out there being talked about subcommittee, things that may be coming up for a vote soon. It will give you the status. So yeah, take a look at those things and really see, read what it says. Don't go by what we say. Read the contents of the bill being reviewed. And you're going to find that it's, while the don't say gay was like the top line clickbait of what did that bill mean in Florida, look at the details, look at everything that's being said, and you make up your own mind about, wow, this is crazy or not crazy, or I get it or don't get it. Yeah, go look and see what's there. Again, you don't have to be all in the political scene to just be aware of what's going on in your state. But thank you. I appreciate you giving us this platform, again, we don't typically go this political, but it's just becoming more and more part of the narrative that we want to make sure we cover it. Yep. And I just want to end with a quote from RuPaul Charles, who I love, who was interviewed for Variety.com and said, and finally, I think the community has been waiting for RuPaul to make some statement, at least I have. On behalf of the anti-drag bills, it's been really a long time coming, but finally, Variety.com made a statement, and he says, hey, look over there, a classic distraction technique distracting us away from the real issues that they were voting into office to focus on, jobs, health care, keeping our children safe from harm at our school, RuPaul says, but we know that bullies are incompetent of solving real issues. They look for easy targets so that they can give the impression of being effective. They think our love, our light, our laughter, and our joy are signs of weakness, but they are wrong because this is our strength. RuPaul continued, drag queens are the Marines of the queer movement. Don't get it twisted and don't be distracted. Register to vote so we can get these stunt queens out of office and put some smart people with real solutions in the government. And by the way, a social media post has never been as powerful as, as a registered vote. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Anyways, this has been an episode. <laughs> it's been an episode brought to you by the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. And thank you for listening. We love you. Savannah, I love you so much. And <laughs> mwah!
So bye for now. Until next time. You can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk or at Living With Crossdressing and on Instagram at Savannah Hawk. Remember, that's H-A-U-K. And to learn more, go to my website, livingwithcrossdressing.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fox and Hanger or at Julie MTF Style, as well as on our website at foxandhanger.com. Julie, it's your moment. <gasps> the Fox and the Phoenix podcast uses Anchor copyright 2023. Yes, nailed it. If you enjoy our content and want to make it easier for others to find us, please share with your friends, tap the subscribe or follow button to the show wherever you're listening, give it a five-star rating, or leave a review. And for show ideas or comments, contact us through the podcast on Facebook at Fox and Phoenix Podcast or on Instagram at the Fox and the Phoenix Podcast underscore.